Well, once upon a time, God promised a man named Abraham and his family the land of Canaan. Now, the land of Canaan, it was flowing with milk and honey, and it was a, a very much so desired piece of land. Now, Abraham was originally from Ur, which was a few hundred miles to the east. Um, and so Abraham and his family, they left their home, and they answered God's calling to go to the land of Canaan, otherwise known as the promised land. And so he left all that he had to go to Canaan. And so after dwelling in Canaan some, for some time, Abraham's family moved to Egypt, led by his grandson, Jacob, who some of you guys may be familiar with. And so for about 400 years, the family of Abraham, otherwise known as the Israelites, they lived in the land of Egypt for about 400 years. Then at the end of the 400 years of the Israelites living in the land of Egypt, God then called Abraham's family, the Israelites, to pick up and go and leave the land of Egypt. And so that's exactly what they did under the leadership of Moses. And Moses led the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years. And then finally, the family of Abraham came across the land of Canaan once again. The promised land, the land that God promised to Abraham. Now the issue is, about 500 years passed by where Abraham's family wasn't living in Canaan, and all of a sudden now there was a big group of people who lived in the land of Canaan. They were known as the Canaanites. Clever, huh? Um, and so within these, 500, within these 500 years, these people, Canaan was their home. That's where they established their families, their friends, their communities, their, their workplaces, and much more. To give us some perspective, 500 years, we say that pretty lightly, but 500 years is about twice the history that we have here in the United States. So they, they were deeply rooted, they were deeply established in the land of Canaan, and now all of a sudden, here comes the, the, the family of Abraham coming back into the land saying, hey, this land was promised to us. And so God ordered the Israelites to live peacefully with the Canaanites. For that, that was their home for 500 years. And God said, listen, you have to live peacefully with these people. That's their home. That's where their families are, their friends, their jobs, and much, much more. That only makes sense, right? That, that's only what we would expect from a loving and patient and peaceful God. Well, the truth of the matter is that's not how the story went, actually. God actually told the Israelites to drive them out of the land completely. God didn't want a single Canaanite left in the land of Canaan. And a lot of people, when they read through this story, it's, it's a true story, true story found in the scriptures. When they read this story, they think of how harsh and cruel that God is. And we ask, why in the world would God command the Israelites to completely drive the Canaanites away from their homes and family and friends? And I think the answer is simple. I think the answer revolves around the concept of sanctification. And sanctification is the key word that we'll be talking about this morning as we continue our series on the seven doctrines of salvation, seven different ways in which we have been saved from the main antagonist in, our, in the story of mankind, and that is sin. 
And this is inspired by Alva Hufford's book, Systematic uh, Theology. I ordered a couple copies of this book actually last week. It'll be here uh, soon. Uh, we had one person uh, reserve a book. We have two extra books. If anybody's interested in this book, I'll have a copy uh, for you. But in this book, Alva Huffrey talks about how life, it was perfect before sin entered the world. Now, when sin was introduced to the world, everything went downhill from there. And ever since then, mankind has had to deal with this issue of sin, the main bad guy in your story, sin. And so every single one of us, we need saved from this bad guy. Every single one of us naturally on our own, we don't have the power within us to, to free ourselves, to save ourselves from this powerful enemy of sin. And naturally, all of us are unholy. Naturally, all of us are desecrated, polluted, and profane from this issue of sin. And this is where God comes into play, where God, he laid down his perfect son, Jesus Christ, in order that we could be saved from sin. And now sin is a very complex issue. It has many different layers. And so likewise, this salvation from sin has many different layers as well. And today we're going to be talking about how we are saved by sanctification. Sanctification. Now, what in the world does sanctification even mean? Well, if you search on the reliable Google, uh, the definition of sanctification, the first definition that you will find read, the action of making or declaring something Holy. Now, holy is another one of those uh, church words that we may not be too familiar with, but holiness is all about being set apart from others. On the other hand, Merriam-Webster defines sanctification as to set apart to a sacred purpose or to religious use. And I, I, I really sincerely like uh, this definition of sanctification. It's all about being set apart. That's, that's what holiness is all about as well, being set apart from those around you. And so sanctification and holiness, we talk about them separately, but really we can talk about them in the same sentence uh, as they are linked together. They carry a very, very similar meaning as they both refer to someone or a group of people being set apart from everyone else around us. And we all know that, that, that God is holy. We all say that, yeah, God is holy. He is a holy God. And there's a lot of truth in that because there really is no one like our God. He is truly set apart from every other being in the history of mankind, in the history of the entire world. And so God is truly, he is a holy God. There is no one like him. And this holy God that we worship actually commands you and I to be holy as well. He commands you and I to be sanctified, to be set apart from those around us. In my uh, personal uh, devotional reading, I just started uh, the book of Leviticus a couple of days ago. Um, and Leviticus, it can be, uh, for me personally, it can be a bit of a dry book uh, to read through as there's lots of different laws that's directed towards uh, the Levites. And so sometimes I get bogged down with it. But there's a really important message in the book of Leviticus. And the book of Levit Leviticus revolves around this idea of sanctification, of being holy. Be holy for God is holy. Leviticus chapter 11 verses 44 and 45 read, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy 
for I am holy. Leviticus 19.2 reads, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Chapter 20, verse 7, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Chapter 20, verse 26, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. And finally, in chapter 21, verse 8, reads, You shall sanctify him. For he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And so we see this idea of sanctification. We see this idea of holiness, and we are commanded to be holy. Now, if we rewind, we start with the story of Abraham and his family and the Canaanites. If we rewind to that story of the Israelites driving out the Canaanites, we can begin to understand that he ordered them to drive them out because he, God wanted the Israelites to be set apart from the Canaanites. God wanted his chosen people, the Israelites, to be holy. Because guess what? These people who dwelled in Canaan, the Canaanites, they worshipped other gods. They were big into sexual immorality. They They even sacrificed their own children to these foreign gods. And God did not want these people conforming to the Canaanites' practices and norms of society. And so that's why God ordered the Israelites to completely drive them out because God wanted them to be holy. God wanted them to be sanctified. And so the issue for us then is naturally none of us are holy. Naturally, None of us are sanctified. Naturally, we have nothing that separates ourselves from the people down the street, the people uh, across the street, whomever it may be. Naturally, we have nothing different about ourselves. But thank goodness, God offers that sanctification. God offers an opportunity for you to be holy. He offers an opportunity for you to be sanctified. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. We're just going to read verse 10. Hebrews 10, 10. The the writer of Hebrews makes this issue of sanctification black and white. I like black and white. I'm a simple man. I like right from wrong. And here the writer of Hebrews, he writes in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. And by that will, talking about the will of God, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So by the will of God, you and I have been sanctified by nothing other than the precious body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, a sacrifice once for all. So the good news for us this morning, this good news of salvation, is that through the sacrifice of Jesus, you have been sanctified. And here, this writer of Hebrews, uh, they they use this word sanctified in the past tense. You, You have already been sanctified. If you have accepted the free gift of eternal life, if you have a living and active faith in God, then you have been. You are already sanctified. You have been set apart from those around you where now we can fulfill God's command to be holy. For we worship a holy God, and our holy God wants us to be holy as well. He wants us to be sanctified. 
And thank goodness for the sacrifice of Jesus. Because through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are saved from this issue of sin and we have been sanctified. You know, Paul talks a little more in depth about this issue or this concept of sanctification in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, our main passage uh, for this morning, if you uh, would like to flip there. Here, Paul, he is writing to the church of Corinth. So he's writing to a church similar to what we have here. Now, unfortunately, this church that Paul was writing to, they were going through division. They, they were struggling. They, they were battling with one another. They were having arguments, and it was a divided church. And so Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. He writes, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swinelers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. <laughs> These are strong words from Paul. Paul says, he talks about the division in, in verse 7, and, and we learn that these people, they're filing lawsuits amongst one another. Imagine your fellow brother or sister in Christ following a lawsuit against us, and, and Paul's like, what's the deal here, guys? Why not just be wrong? Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded than filing lawsuits against your own brother or sister in Christ? And then Paul takes it a step further. And verse 9, where he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He couldn't make that any more clear. The unrighteous, they simply, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the hope that you and I have, the hope where everything wrong with this world is going to be made right. So people who have a practice of sexual immorality, Paul says, they do not belong in the kingdom of heaven. People who have a practice of adultery, they do not belong in the kingdom of heaven. Men who practice homosexuality, they, they do not belong in the kingdom of heaven. He talks about thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul tells the church, he says, listen up. And such were some of you. Some of you guys were adulterers. Some of you guys were idolaters. Some of you guys were drunkards. Some of you guys were revilers and swindlers and so forth. However, Paul continues in verse 11, and he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so such were some of us. These people who do not belong in the kingdom of heaven, who don't belong in the day and age where everything wrong with this world is going to be made right. But there's good news to this. There's good news. Is that through Jesus, through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, the Holy Spirit, you were washed and you were sanctified. You were set apart from these people. 
where no longer do we partake in, in, in these sinful practices. No longer do we live a life of sin because we have been washed, we have been sanctified by the name of Jesus and by the precious Holy Spirit dwelling within us. What good news that we have today. And so I encourage you, raise your hand if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. Raise your hand for me. Well, I tell you this morning that you have been sanctified. You are different from those around you. You have been set apart from those who do not have a living and active faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. That is the power of the blood of Jesus. You have been sanctified. Now, if we jump down to verse 15 here of chapter 6, Paul writes, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who was joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with so here, Paul, he uses the specific example of a believer being united to a prostitute and saying basically how, how terrible of an idea that is where the two flesh, they become one. But instead, but, but we, we, we can take that, we can generalize that and, and being united, being put together in a group uh, of uh, people who don't have a living and active faith, it's, it's a bad idea. But instead, verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And so rather than being united with the world, you and I, if we have a living and active faith, we are united to Jesus Christ himself in one spirit. And Paul continues in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person com commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, then you have God's precious Holy Spirit living within you. It is alive and well, and it's within your body. You have God's Spirit. You are a temple of God's Spirit. In the Old Testament, God presided in, uh, in the temple, the most holy of holies, this little room which resembled God's presence. Well, now, in this new covenant with the sacrifice of Jesus, we are the temple. We are where God resides. We are where God dwells. God's Holy Spirit lives within us. And so we have to honor God. We have to glorify God in our bodies. That's the whole idea of sanctification, being set apart from those around you. For you have a special body, you have a special spirit living within you. And so we have to glorify God. We have to be different from those around us who put shame to the name of God. And we have to glorify God. And so that's the, that's the, the idea, the concept of sanctification. And when we talk about sanctification, we all have to be made aware that there are two different aspects toward this idea of sanctification. There is outward sanctification, and there is inward sanctification. We'll talk about both briefly. briefly. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, so outward sanctification is all about our identity. 
It's about how you are perceived to the rest of the world, and more importantly, how you are perceived from God, how God sees you. And the moment that you accept Jesus as your Savior, then in, in, in an external legal relationship with God, you are a sanctified saint. The moment that you accept Jesus as your Savior, God then views you as a saint. I love that word, the saint. Paul talks about the, the, the saints time and time again in the New Testament. And when he uses that word saint, he's referring to all Christians. And so when you have a living and active faith in Jesus, the moment at conversion, God sees you as his saint. God views you as a saint. No longer are, are you identified by this idea, like the rest of the world, that we are poor little sinners, but rather you are a saint. You are a child of God. That is your identification. That identification sets you apart from those around you. The person down the street who doesn't have a living act of faith, they are not a saint. They're not a child of God. But you, if you have a living and active faith, then at the moment of conversion, God views you as a saint. And that separates you from the rest of the world around you. That sanctifies you. That makes you holy. And so I want you, if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to repeat after me, all right? I am a saint. Simple. That's who you are. You are a saint. Gone with your old identity. Don't dare lump yourself with the rest of the world and claim the same identity as the rest of the world. As the truth of the matter is that belittles the sacrifice of Jesus. That's saying, Jesus, I appreciate what you did on the cross, but that doesn't really separate me from, from those around me. And, th and that belittles what Jesus did, what God did in, in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I last thing I want to do is, belitt is belittle the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's our outward sanctification. That's our outward identity to others. More importantly, our identity to God has been set apart from those around us. And on the other hand, we have inward sanctification, where rather than outward sanctification happens immediately, 100% at conversion, inward sanctification is a process that begins at conversion. Inward sanctification is all about inward purity. It's all about learning to live like Jesus. And for those of us who, who have already accepted Jesus as our Savior, we understand this is a process, which is a misconception to a lot of people who don't have that living and active faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. It, it's a constant struggle. It's a constant battle to learn to live like Jesus, to learn to emulate the character of God in our lives. We aren't going to be sinless, as much as I wish that, that we would be sinless. However, the closer that we draw to God, we will sin less. So you're not going to be sinless, but you will sin less. We, we, we must sin less, as this is a part of the process of inward sanctification. If with God's spirit living within us and, and we resemble, we express the fruit of the spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and so forth, we learn to more and more day by day live like Jesus, who was the perfect image of our holy 
God. And so it's a process of inward sanctification, learning to live like Jesus. And so there we have the outward sanctification, our identity, that we are a saint. We have our inward sanctification that we learn on a day-by-day. It's a process to live more like Jesus. And so this, this concept of sanctification, guys, is not something that we can gloss over lightly. You know, when, well, a lot of us, when we think of the sacrifice of Jesus being saved from sin, we probably think of forgiveness. That's probably the first thing that we think about. Or maybe we think about justification, where we are made right in the eyes of God. Or we think of the reconciliation, that we have a right, a good relationship with God again. But my bet is not many of us think of the gift of sanctification. But it's extremely important. It was extremely important to God. So important that God commanded the Israelites to completely drive out the Canaanites because he wanted his people to be set apart. And what pains me is that when I look at the church in America, the church in America is not very sanctified. It it, it is not very set apart from those around us. The church in America in general, and and I use these terms lightly, I, I use in general, the church in America conforming to the patterns of our society. And in general, If I were to look at person A, who was a believer in Jesus, and person B, who was not a believer in Jesus, a lot of times I would not even be able to tell the difference. If I had all the information that I needed, if I I could see their daily schedule, if I could see their their attitude, their their thought process, a lot of times there would be no difference at all. They are not being set apart from those around us. And so I encourage you to think about, if a stranger were to look at your life, would it be obvious to them that you are a Christian? Would it be obvious to them if if they saw your daily schedule, what you did from the moment you woke up to the moment that you went to bed? Would it be as plain as day that you are a saint, that you are a Christian? If the answer is yes, you're doing something right. The answer is no, then something needs to change. Something needs to change because through the sacrifice of Jesus, you have been sanctified. You've been set apart and we must live like it. We must live like we have been set apart from those around us. They've got to see that that you are digging into your word. They've got to see that, that you are constantly communicating with God. They've got to see that instead of hating your enemy, you love your enemy and you pray for your enemy. Because being a Christian, I promise you, being a Christian, it will set you apart from the world around you. This world that we are living in, it's not a very Christian-friendly world that we are living in. And so you're going to stick out like a sore thumb if you are truly living out this faith as a child of God, as a saint, which is our true identity. And so this week and the rest of the weeks of your life, really, I want you uh, to pay attention to how you conduct yourself. Ask yourselves two questions. Question one, do I, or does my life look different from those around me? Ask yourself that on a daily basis. Does my life look different than those around me? Two, is your life set apart from those who don't have a living faith? Those are questions we have to be asking on a daily basis. Questions we must ask ourselves as we discuss this concept of sanctification. 
And the good news is, is that if we remain sanctified, that one day, Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of God, is going to come back to this earth, and Jesus is going to judge the world. And if you remain a sanctified saint of God, then one day, Jesus is going to tell you, well done, my beloved servant. The kingdom belongs to you. Those are words that I long to hear. Those are words that drive me to live a sanctified life as a believer. And I hope the same is true for you. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your many blessings. Father, I thank you for the love that you showed us in laying your son Jesus down at the cross. Father, I thank you that it's your will that each and every one of us here be sanctified, that we be set apart from those around us. And so, Father, I just pray that we don't take this message lightly, this concept of sanctification, but, but Father, I pray that you remind us day in and day out that, hey, our lives need to look different. And so, Father, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit, which dwells in each and every one of us. And, Father, I pray that the Spirit is alive and well in us, and it drives us, it leads us to live a, sancti a sanctified life in which you are given glory. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.